Hello, welcome back to the Truck and Driver podcast. I'm Dougie Rankin and I'm joined today by... Matt Island. Hey. Hey. <laughs> Yeah, how you, how you getting on, Matt? Um, with your w- wide variety of uh, truck-related working things that you do, from uh, your driver training to your moving dogs to the far side of Europe in vans and so on and so forth, what's been happening in your world? It's been um, a little bit sort of topsy turvy as such. Um, I think the last time I spoke to you, I think it might have even been before the retro show. Can't remember exactly off the top of my head, but. Uh, I was meant to do a run to Montenegro, uh, which unfortunately didn't happen um, because of paperwork issues, basically. And the boss had a conference to go to in the Middle East, so uh, it basically got knocked on the head because he couldn't deal with it and then go out to this conference for a week or so. So that sort of fell out of bed, sadly. But in the meantime, I've been contacted by Martin Driver Training, asking if I was free. So uh, I picked up three days of category C, 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 I think it was, training. So just two days and a test uh, with another pass, uh, another tick tick to the old pass sheet. And then for me at the moment, just local work. I'm working for Normans of Halesworth this week, driving an XG. And then from next week up until Christmas time, I'm booked just with RBTs, which is more local work, driving a Renault T-Range because he's got a chap retiring. So... um, He's booked me up until Christmas, which is pretty good because it's pretty quiet out there. I, I know um, like friends of mine who run trucks have, have had a lot of work cancelled. Uh, they're scratching about, kind of desperately looking for stuff. A friend of mine had a contract for six weeks' worth of work, and I think he got undercut within the first day or so, so that all disappeared. And uh, a lot of other operators have just said it's just yeah, it's yeah. T- ticking over. It's really not particularly good out there i mean again as we've discussed before where i am in suffolk um sugar beet season is well and truly underway with um all the factories are open i believe so all the agricultural stuff is is nice and busy so i could always drop onto that if i had to but like i say at the moment i'm booked up until christmas and the straw man as well he's got a, a replacement truck so hopefully between christmas and new year i'll jump onto that do a bit of straw and then presumably, who knows, into the new year. I can't believe I'm talking about the new year already. Um, had a holiday in Malta as well mm. for a week, which was lovely. Lo- lovely and sunny, warm, couple of days diving, and the usual older trucks knocking about still. Uh, not as many as last time, but... No, well, I mean, I'd heard that, that they're starting to get a little bit rarer in Malta, because if you don't know, Malta, for some reason, had become a haven for um, old trucks, like very old trucks in some cases, yeah, that you would certainly not see anywhere else. Uh, the big fans of ERFs out there. Yeah. So what is it they're kind of moving on to now? What is filtering into the place these older trucks? And what? Well, what older? What older stuff did you see? So there was still quite a few AWDs, the Leyland road trains. Uh, and what what the uh, the smaller cabs for the road train, the cruiser and the contract. I think they were, yeah. There's just a few of them. A couple of Ford D series uh, still knocking about. The oldest one, I think I saw was an AEC. It's ah, oh, what's the? There was an AEC with um, they shared a cab. There's like the. Uh, yeah, the Yergamatic the the cab, one, the, big, yeah. the big deep wind That's right, yeah. With, so there's, what was there, like a Mercury 
um yeah and 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 all that lot i saw w one of them working. it was uh, like, yeah. uh the, the, Le the leyland buffalo used that's the cab right. as yeah. well yeah and a couple ones, of others yeah. so only one of them that i saw working i mean it, you know obviously it, there's a good chance there's more of them working here and there that i just haven't seen because i'm only you only be in one place at one time can't you but um kind of it's yeah it's sort of moved on to like the 90s sort of stuff again a lot of arfs a lot of e, e series quite a few ecs um but dafts as well like the old 95s and the early like 85s with the big indicators on the mountain on the side quite a lot of them sort of seem to be working mm. about so it's kind of was, the last time i was in malta was eight years ago um where there was an awful lot of older stuff so it's kind of progressed into mm. into the sort of 80s and 90s sort of from the 70s and 80s as such that's how how it seems to be so it's it, it quite, quite affordable i could do with a break in the sunshine for a bit actually because this is you're saying about weather and uh, time moving fast it doesn't seem that much long ago since it was june and it was really warm and then yeah of course it's, it's now well it's miserable and we had that red weather warning as well so you know yeah it's quite, it's a, there's Malta quite reasonably priced because it's yeah. somewhere I've never been, you know, I quite find a wee weekend yeah. away somewhere. Yeah, it's, nice. it's, it, I mean, I, I collect air miles, but the flights I booked months ago were something like £240 return, and that was with BA, so you can get cheaper than that. Uh, we had seven nights in a like, top-floor apartment with a balcony, Although it's kind of like a hotelish because they did bre a breakfast buffet every day, blah blah blah, and that alone was about eight hundred and something, so about a hundred pound a night, and that was for like a top end apartment as such. Mm -hmm. you, you can get a much cheaper hotel room mm -hmm. very easily on the island. So one thing I did notice was it's got so much busier there, and um, we got a taxi back after dropping the rental car off, and the chap was from Pakistan. And he was saying he had been working in Dubai as a bus driver until COVID. Then they sort of basically sacked all of their migrant workers. So everybody sort of left Dubai. He went to Malta with quite a few others to initially drive buses. He's now driving a taxi. He wants to do his C plus E equivalent, basically, uh, to then drive trucks somewhere. But he was saying in the last two years, the population has gone from, I think he said, 350,000 to 600,000. And in such a small place in a short amount of time, it's the traffic was visibly busier. It took a long time to get about mm. on the main island. If you go to Gozo, which is the, the northern island, it's uh, mm -hmm. it's really quiet. It's it's kind of apparently it's like Malta used to be 20 odd years ago. It's um, if you really don't mm. want to see people, don't want to do anything and just want to really chill out, that's the place to go. But you will <laughs> if you're like me, you'll probably get bored after about a day wanting to go and do something. So, uh, but it's a, it's a great it's a great place. Really friendly people. Yeah, lots of and there's lots of there's quite a few people with a few truck collections as well. Which sadly, I, I just ran out of time to go and meet these people who've got these small private collections of, of classic trucks, which is a real shame. So, I have to have another holiday out there. That will cure that one. Yeah, well, without wanting to get political and Malta's position, you know, being south of Italy. You know, yeah, uh, uh, in the Mediterranean off the coast of Africa, it's not surprising that the population is 
increasing rapidly with all this uh, movement from boats and things coming across and all, and all that. I would imagine they'd probably be getting hit with that. Pretty uh, difficult as well, with it being the first gateway to Europe. Yeah, well, mm. boss, it's boss. one of the most. It's full of history as well. Yes. Malta. It's like oh, got, yeah. It goes back like tens of thousands of years. It's some of the most ancient sort of modern history. There was um, yeah. Graham Hancock's program on Netflix was in in Malta, and it was yes. pretty pretty interesting. Yeah, the temp the temple um, which is on is that on Gozo. It's, it was the oldest known sort of uh, proof of civilization. So I can't think the exact word now. Until they found Gobek, 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 Yeah. So um, and <clears throat> and again, it, there could be even older civilizations that we just don't know about yet. But Graham Hancock's a really interesting bloke. I'm currently listening to one of his books at the moment at work. He's uh, yeah, he's a real interesting character. He is. Yeah, I know a lot of the, a lot of the stuff. Yeah, if you don't know him, he's like quite a controversial character in a way because he goes on about ancient archaeology and things, and he's got a lot of theories about things which don't sort of back up traditional archaeology. But it's dead. I mean, it's really fascinating once you start to look into it because it's considered like the pyramids in Egypt are supposed to be, they're considered to be sort of four or 5,000 years old and the Egyptians built them and everyone. But there's a theory which does kind of stand up that says that the Egyptians didn't build the pyramids, they inherited them. Mm -hmm. And then it gets really interesting because apparently like the main pyramid was used, they reckon it was used to generate electricity. Yeah by using some some sort of electrolysis system because there's all sorts of pipework and engineering that goes into the inside of the uh, pyramid. Yeah. And they reckon that it was potentially used, you know, to harness, you know, anything. There's all sorts of theories and maybe it was used to, like, harness a part of the weather to, like, sort of transmit uh, electricity, but they don't know. No. Because there's not much evidence of a lost civilization because there's like, well, there's not many artifacts or anything left. But, you know, if you're talking, if you're going back, if Gobekli Tepe, which is this big site at Turkey, which is uh, all sorts of statues and monoliths, which go back, like, sort of to the last Ice Age, and the world looked completely different at the end of the the, the last Ice Age. There was so much more land. Yeah. Because the sea levels were like 300 feet lower. And there's loads and loads of um, evidence of buildings because humans like to build at the coast, like round about Japan and everyone, there's like causeways mm -hmm. and really massive, like massive granite blocks that have been engineered into shape and everything yeah. out there. And no, but the, the fascinating thing is that uh, there's stuff in Peru as well where they've moved these like perfectly engineered granite blocks that weigh tens of tons, like, you know, 80, 90 tons, these granite blocks. And where they got the granite from to build these things is from a quarry that's like a way over on the other side of a mountain. And it's like, how did they move these granite blocks that weigh 90 tons from there to there? And how did they engineer them so accurately? Like mm -hmm. that would take the cutting edge of our modern technology to build these things. Now, and these temples have built, it's like the blocks are fitted, like there isn't even like a millimeter yeah. gap between them. You would get the a precision paper is just, in. Yeah. Yeah, the precision, the precision engineering of it is just phenomenal. Yeah. And, you know, we would struggle to do that today, yet somebody somehow was doing this. Thousands of years you know, ago. Thousands and thousands of years ago. Yeah. And it goes back to there being like a lost, advanced civilization, and there's a lot 
there's a lot that's undiscovered in the Amazon, sadly because of what's happening in the Amazon rainforest, they're actually uncovering loads of these like lost cities and everything where they had like advanced irrigation systems to grow plants and food and everything and uh, even the ones that like survived the ice age and things like that when when the Europeans came over they wiped them out with smallpox yeah uh, and took out like millions of people but it, yeah it, it really fascinates me to think there was some sort of advanced technology being used on the planet by at least like one race of humans it doesn't necessarily mean like all humans there could be like a lot of people living in like northern europe who were like you know just hunter gatherers and like you know living in mud yeah and filth and everything but there was like this like other much more advanced civilization that was potentially able to you know map and travel the planet and and had harnessed uh, powers they, they certainly managed to harness a certain type of technology which we never have been able to and mm. uh, with our modern ways of doing things with you know using uh, engines and mechanical advantage to push and pull things there's been some sort of way that they've worked out to go and move stuff and create stuff and we don't know who it was or how they did it, and once you go down that like sort of rabbit hole and start like learning about it, it gets really interesting. Like, have you heard of the the the, the Sphinx yeah. um, water ero- water erosion hypothesis? Yeah, yeah, with the face. Yeah, but uh, they reckon that the the Sphinx of Egypt was once much larger, and it probably had like a lion's face on it. Yeah, and the Egyptians recarved it, but because of like the corrosion, well, the erosion that's on it. They reckon that that's from many thousands of years of water, like rainfall falling on it. And the last time the Sphinx had rainfall hitting it was during the Ice Age, which was, you know, sort of 12,000 years ago when the Sahara was a lush green desert. Like nobody knows what's under all those trillions of tons of sand on the Sahara. Yeah. Because that was once home to like massive lakes. Mm and lush forests and everything. So nobody knows what's under any of that. And it really does look like that's the Sphinx was built by somebody who was like super advanced uh, way back then. And of course, all the reason that it all came to an end was because of the Younger Dryas event, which was yes. where like a massive comet, a massive comet came down from space and smashed somewhere into like the North Americas, like Canada somewhere. And it caused like a rain of like, fire and uh, for like a, an extended period of time it wiped nearly everything off the planet and there was only like a small sort of amount of humans who survived and had to rebuild and that's when that like sort of lost advanced civilization that's when they sort of disappeared and it's one of the most fascinating things once you start looking into it there may be people listening to this now <laughs> who you know some, some of you might be like what on earth are they talking about yeah. but and other, and other ones will be going yeah I know exactly what you're talking about because Joe Rogan's done like numerous podcasts on this right with uh, like Robert Hancock uh, no sorry Graham, Graham Hancock, Hancock he's yeah. talked to yeah and Robert Shock as well he was a guy who came up with the water erosion hypothesis and Randall Carlson as well because we're talking about there's like scars in the land where like enormous forces have pushed like boulders like literal mountains have gone and pushed their way down the sort of continents and created all these 
ripples and valleys and created the, the sort of geography that we know today. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, it's it's history, but it's like interesting history. If they taught this at school, you know, you would have been right into it. You'd have been like, wow, what was... Oh, definitely. What was, what, what was going on here? What was it that they were using to go and get about and sort of navigate the, the navigate the planet and do do what it was that they were doing and we just sort of you know we well, don't we yeah don't we don't <laughs> my, my personal hunch is it's something to do with frequencies and sound because when you look at like uh-huh. like the ancient site um newbridge in ireland and all these all these other chambers like that they're they're perfectly designed for acoustics so yeah. and potentially for healing, we we just don't know. So I think they probably harness the power of sound and frequency somehow to move these massive blocks. Because I've often looked at them and they, you know, they hypothesise that they roll them on tree trunks and stuff like that. And I just can't see how they wouldn't just smash no. smash them to pieces. So anyway, that's uh, no, there's no, there's no there's no logical explanation. Nobody can come up with an explanation about how any of it was done you know and if like we had another comet come down and smash into the planet as well and then like 14,000 years later there's not going to be anything left you know plastic will eventually revert and turn to stone you might find like fossilised remains of certain things like you know like you might find like the fossilised remains of an engine block yeah and then someday would look at that all those years later and try and work out like what on earth it it may possibly have been but there wouldn't be sort of any sort of much evidence uh, of us us being there or anything like that no no so yeah fascinating stuff Mm. but yeah Yeah. as and yeah to be found some of that on Malta and that's a good place Mm -hmm. good place to start with it yeah yeah. Yeah. and (laughs) Intermission <laughs> and, and, and breathe. <laughs> Back in the um, the modern world, yeah, I managed to get out. I spent um, speaking of like work being quiet. Daff had their XFC tipper, um, which I was able to drive. I do have the opportunity to go and do some work with eight wheelers, but the eight wheeler work's not that busy up here just now. Yeah, because there's not a lot of infrastructure work getting done. They have said Sunax came out now and said they're going to duel the A seventy five, which is the Stranraer road, you know, down for all the ferries down to the A seventy four, which is overruling the Scottish <laughs> government, who have got well, the Scottish government have got a policy of not building any more roads because they're in coalition with the Green Party, right? Who um. Nobody even remotely voted for, and a lot of them are like occupying like quite high positions of seniority uh, in the government. And they're like, we don't want to be building any more roads, but it's like, yeah, well, these roads badly need built, you know, it's for safety and the environment. So the A75 is one. I mean, we also badly need the A9 sorting out going up to Inverness. That yeah. needs to be dueled the whole way. Yeah. And you can make arguments for the rest of the A1. Uh, you can make, definitely make an argument for the terrible Sheriff Hall roundabout um, at the Edinburgh Bypass because mm-hmm. that's like a car park at peak times. <laughs> the, the, like the Edinburgh Bypass itself was never meant to generate the traffic that it now has on it. Then you've got the M8 as well. Like the M8 is a two-lane snail track yeah. between Edinburgh, Edinburgh and Glasgow. You know, Two lanes between Edinburgh and Glasgow is ridiculous. You don't like Liverpool and Manchester with just two lanes for most of the way. No. No, no, it does eventually expand into three lanes sort of further along. But they need to do 
but more with that. I know the smart motorways all got cancelled. Well, future smart motorways got cancelled as well, so they're not going to do any more of them. But all the projects are still on the go, as everybody listening will well know. You get these 20-mile sections of like tedious roadworks which go on for just forever and there there was a survey that came out from some company that said the best motorway in the UK and I know the best two well the best motorway in England the best motorway in Britain in my opinion is the A74M M74 uh, which runs from the Scottish border with England up to Junction uh, 12 where it drops to two lanes yeah which is a road you're no doubt familiar with. I don't know. That is the best bit of motorway in the country because it's the quietest and it's got the nicest scenery on it. Yes. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Uh, this survey reckoned that the best motorway in England um, <laughs> was the M5. Mm. Uh, maybe at five o'clock on a Sunday morning. Yeah. <laughs> no, not, a, not a peak time. So, no. You know, try and, hit, try and hit the M5 in, like, you know, busy season and everything. You know, yeah. it's, it's not great. There's always caravans over on their side and everything. You've got VW camper vans overheating. Yeah. And they can't get into a hard shoulder because they've put loads of, bit of smart motorway in now. But again, the, you could make an argument. It's weird because you can't just go and. Because some of the motorways are that big, you can make an argument for the M6 being the best and worst motorway in England mm-hmm. because it's it can be really quite horrendous further south down around Birmingham and everything. But once you're up past sort of 32, past um, past Preston, Blackpool, and yeah, yeah, Preston and the Blackpool car, yeah, that motorway, that motorway there. I mean, that entire run from there all the way up the M6 over the Scottish border up. That is a joy. That's beautiful. In yeah. general, to use that's beautiful to use. So the M6 is probably like the the, the best um, whole section of motorway. But I reckon I shout for the the M40. The M40 is mostly a wonderful piece of motorway. I know that they've started doing a bit of smart motorway interference up by the top. But once you get onto the M40 uh, off the M42 to head all the way down to the M25. It's three lanes with a hard shoulder and no smart motorway nonsense on it either. And it's never partic- yeah. it's never particularly slow, even though it's pretty busy. I mean, a bit. No, admittedly, when you get down to the twenty five, that's because of the twenty five. But of, yeah. other than that, it's uh, yeah, and, it flows know, well. In the, yeah, in the car, you know, because people tend to you know not really hang about either. And yeah, it's got a good flow of traffic. Yeah, traffic to it. And I'd come up at um, fairly late at night when I got back the other day and it's always a it's always a much more pleasurable to use than the other motorways oh absolutely um, yeah like the M- the m11's the closest one to me and it's just two lanes of just one well, again once you pass stansted uh it gets a bit it gets a bit better but even up near the top of there it just starts to queue all the time and running between stansted and the, and the a11 it often just comes to a grinding halt for no apparent reason and it's got a no overtaking ban on it, mm. you know, for trucks that I think they when they they trialled it, they found out that people saved. I think it was something like three seconds on their journey, so it's completely pointless. But obviously, we don't like trucks in this country, so we're going to stop them overtaking. Yeah, I'm, I I know that it's I know that it can be I can be frustrating for well, it can be frustrating for everybody. It can be frustrating for fellow lorry drivers as well. Yeah, if you're a uh, if you're like sitting, if you're doing, yeah, if you're like chapping along doing 56 
and there's somebody doing 54.1 overtaking somebody who's doing 54 and the guy's like holding him out and he's doing you know the one of the one of the worst things that they could do is once they let the lorry almost go past the lorry on the inside's a little bit heavier goes into eco roll rolls up the inside of him it just leaves them sitting there again. Eh? It's like, yeah. Ah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I can see why they put overtaken bands in because you do, mm. you know, some drivers are, are own worst yeah, enemy. But it's because, yeah, it's drivers being their, own, being their own worst enemy as well. In fact, I actually, you know, I got the subject of toilets came up again this week as well. And this was a curious one, uh, which um, I hadn't really encountered before. It was a guy who works um, as, uh, doing commercial bins on night shift. Yeah. So all the premises that they visit are shut yes. at night. So they're going around emptying bins on all this variety of routes. And that means that there's no actual provision on their route uh, for toilet facilities. Yeah. And the, the, the response was, you know, uh, just go and like, find a KFC or you know, go and find a McDonald's or something somewhere. But it's not necessarily possible if you're in a bin lorry and a lot of routes going in and out of towns and things. Yeah. To find somewhere like that, like a lot of a lot of petrol stations don't have toilets, mm-hmm. or if they do, they don't have space to accommodate a truck either. No. And these places aren't available as sort of commercial toilets anyway. So it came into it that some poor guy had been caught um, on CCTV camera having a pee down the side of the lorry. Yeah. And then it was up like, you know, customer wasn't happy up in front of like a disciplinary proceedings. And, you know, he'd said, well, you know, there, there isn't actually any, you know, provi- provision for us on the route yeah. for us to be able to go and use a toilet. Where where are we supposed to go to the toilet on the route if we need one? And the employer hadn't like provided anything like that at all. And I was thinking, well, yeah, I mean, they, prob- they, they probably should. Yeah. Really, you know, I mean, the the vast majority of the time, the things are probably pulling, you know, well, you might not be able to pull in a lay by at night anyway because they're all full of trucks that are parked up. Yeah, because they've got nowhere else to go. But that, it, it just occurred to me it was just another case of, you know, a basic sort of human function, which again isn't given any consideration to, you know. Yeah. And get, you know, get, and you can get caught out with things as well. You might have like a bit of an upset stomach or anything like that. What you know? What what is the provision if you're out on a run for like a for like a good few hours and there's no you know provision anywhere for you to like use any sort of um, facility toilet facility yeah toilet facility toilet facility yeah yeah I don't know what, mm. what you do really yeah yeah no, I don't know about that I would like to I would like to well you'd have to go and look at the routes and things that they do and have a look at that and everything but like the employer should you know probably be, be sort of something that they're going to look into that especially if they're going to you know start uh, disciplining employees for having a, a leak at the wrong sort of uh, place yeah you know? well exactly something like that because so, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's not like it's viable you can just turn around and go back to the depot and go to the toilet then go back out again you're just never going to get anything done are you no no you're not you're not and it's not healthy to behold it no having a full bladder like all the, the time relentlessly either so you know something some to look into it and I had a, th- a thought as well this week I've been um, yeah just been writing some articles up for the um the, the magazine and thing and you notice a lot of uh, comments um, online from drivers and you, you know that comments online don't really necessarily reflect real life yes absolutely as, as, <laughs> uh, 
as such, you know, and a lot of people take the opportunity to do like a bit of trolling and things, and you know, yeah. But I, I was um, think, thinking about there was stuff coming up. People were talking about trucks and th- things, and you know, it's hard to have like it's an open conversation about particular makes of trucks sometimes or things like that because people, you know, they've got to interject and get like comments and all that. You know, <laughs> has it broken down yet? And Stuff like that. Oh, the fuels are going to fall off it and all that side. Yeah, yeah, very, very good and everything. But I was thinking, I mean, there's often like surveys done. Uh, there's been surveys done about facilities and things, and I was thinking about trying to set up a survey, a little project for myself to ask drivers about their trucks. Yeah. And what and um, what they think of their trucks. Uh, and what they think of the you know other trucks and what they do with their job with them and I've like a whole put together like a build up a sort of whole series of conversations with drivers like young drivers like guys like up to sort of thirty I would say yeah you know and then like older drivers as well and find out what their perspectives and expectations on things are and what they would like to see on their truck as well and talk to them about you know I'd like to ask a lot of guys about. Um, you know, the features on their truck as well. I'm like, do you use predictive and adaptive cruise control? Yeah. Do you have it on do you have it on your truck? Yeah. If you if you use it, you know, do you like it? If not, why not? Because there's more and more technology being added to trucks yeah. to enable you to get like the the best out of them and things. So I was uh, I was pondering sort of starting to do that, but I was wondering how would it because I couldn't really go and do it as a set of multiple choice questions for things yeah it would probably have to involve like having sort of conversations with people and sort of recording them and then taking away the information and just maybe getting you know a cross section across uh, a whole different set of industries just to to find out you know people's uh, you know what do drivers think because the drivers ever really get asked that often probably not I would say. Probably not. I, mean, I know that there's like focus groups and things that people can get involved with and there's odd guys out there who might be in a position to be running about with a manufacturer's prototype truck, you know. Yeah. There might be some guy out there who's driving like, you know, maybe somebody out there now who's driving about in like the next, you know, update just off the top of my head, you know, the latest Volvo or, like, or whatever. Uh, and it's like one that's not yet in the production and it's got like a secret engine in it or something like that and they'll just test yeah got it testing but i mean by and large drivers don't usually sort of get asked all that much about features on their truck about what they like and what what, what they don't like and you know uh fear, what the fears for the future as well because i'd like to ask about electric trucks as well yeah because that is that is without doubt you know the most di- the most controversial and divisive subject as well yes um and I, I was looking on linkedin for the first time for ages do you use linkedin at all yeah i do yeah uh, i hadn't looked on it for ages it came up as my five-year work anniversary with trucking driver last month Crikey. so there you go that's five years and so I got a whole load of notifications. So I logged in and had a look, and I was just reading, you know, a lot of the posts about the electric trucks. And LinkedIn was interesting because it was it's it was different to any other media platform. Yeah. Because on the one hand, you had a lot of drivers on on LinkedIn, but you also had a lot of the sort of industry people you had you know, stakeholders involved in, like, electric things and people involved in manufacture and people involved in, like, electric uh, sort of media and things. 
and the, the the comment, you know, the comments are just so different on both sides, uh, both sides um, of it. And on the on the one side, you've got like mass paranoia, uh, you know. Yeah. Um, from people like guys, I mean, it, there's guys that genuinely like fear these things and don't want anything to do with them at all. Yeah. And also don't really know anything about them, which isn't isn't sort of their sort of fault. I mean, there's a lot of suspicion there. But then way over on the other side as well, you've got the sort of hardcore propagandists, you know. They get the people who are like fully uh, signed up for sort of on board for net zero 2050. And it, it's difficult. I mean, if you're working for a big company who's involved with what are these things called the ESG scores, all, all the company like uh, ratings for like equality and uh, the environment and everything like that you have to be seen to be like absolutely on message with all this sort of stuff it's like you can't like sort of um question the narrative mm. with anything like that yeah. so on the one side you've got all this sort of the, the sort of hardcore propaganda and it, it's uh, you know and then you, you look somewhere in the middle at it and like most of the people in the industry are sort of, you know, when it comes to alternative fuels and things moving forward and everything, it's like, it's like, it's not going, it's not going to be, it's not ever going to be the fully electrified utopia that that people are saying it's going to be. It's going to be a whole mix of different things. So, yeah, I thought I would actually like to go and talk to truck drivers and find out what their thoughts are. Mm. Uh, and things on all all this stuff are. I mean, I've seen seen quite a few people say saying words to the effect of, "If I get given one of them, you know, I'll, I'll either be given back or they'll be hanging their keys up and and not driving one." Um, uh, uh, which... on, the, on, on the other hand, you know, if if you've got a forty four ton long haul Arctic, yeah. it's not going to happen. You have nothing to worry about. No, <laughs> and, and especially not for a long time. But also speaking to a friend of mine who is a truck salesman for a, a, a new truck salesman for one of the manufacturers. And they're all sort of looking at a massive fine from the government. If they're not making these sales, sales targets. But the problem is yep. like he was saying to me, I go to my customers and basically I've got to sell. It kind of works out to one in 10 of these trucks will have to be electric. So every single customer has gone to, to discuss this and put this point forward they say, okay, well, there's nine other trucks there that I can buy that are diesel. I want one of them nine. Because just no no operators really on board. I mean, M- market MDF is very impressed with Volvo's electric truck. Yeah. But again, they're, they're, they're kind of three times the price of, of your normal truck. Again, the, no. the whole infrastructure is not in and so on and so forth, as we've discussed before. So, so it's just not... At the moment, it's just not viable, is it? Yeah. No, I mean, there's, there's companies that are buying like sort of one... And yeah. there are like certain stipulations with contracts with local authorities now as well, where they're coming in and saying you need to have an electric vehicle on your fleet, or you can't have this job. So like some of them are going out and buying like you know some sort of Chinese electric van, yeah, because it like ticks, it ticks a box for it ticks a box for some something along those lines as well. Like I mean Tesco, I mean like Tesco, I've got that electric Volvo away working, and that will work. And there's um, there's various other companies getting certain certain individual ones in. But you know, as we've talked before, it's, you know, the infrastructure needs to come into into play as well with yeah. it. And of course, you need to have a look at you know where your power generation's coming from. One of the things that I would like when I had that gas truck. Well, that was five years ago. Now I had the gas-powered Diveco. Yeah. The compressed, the compressed natural gas network is now 
increasing uh, quite a bit. There's new fuel stations going in here and there. And compressed natural gas was previously not as much use as liquefied natural gas yeah. because you couldn't get the range out of it. But they're starting to now, like Scania have got a CNG truck which has much longer range tanks on it. Uh, Bob Beach was driving it uh, for a week there. And yeah. at the moment, they're only 410s, but they are going to up it to 460, which makes it much more attractive and yeah. uh, and viable. And I, I really think that, you know, gas is a really good solution to long-haul full-weight transport because you can make it from food waste. You can make it from, like animal byproducts and things you can make it from manure so the gas is like effectively sort of like you know sort of carbon negative or, uh, as well and now i was looking like five years ago there were a lot of guys saying you wouldn't catch me driving a gas truck you wouldn't catch me driving one yeah well we'll see like a little bit sort of further on down the line when sort of you know when yeah. diesel trucks start to get restricted more and i don't know what the situation is with uh, gas. It wouldn't surprise me if they just lump them all in the same anyway. Even though a gas truck is potentially cleaner than any other form of propulsion, mm -hmm. if it can use sort of carbon negative stuff, I bet you there'd be a lot more, a lot more guys coming out now saying, "Oh no, I'll have a gas truck." Oh yeah, give me a gas truck, no problem at all. I'll have that. Yeah, yeah. Because they are, they they are pretty much identical to drive they're quieter and they rev a little higher it's got a softer sort of engine note to them right than the diesel than the diesel ones as well now the big thing uh, hydrogen's something which is in the way as well and you know but hydrogen's a good few years off down the down the sort of line mm. as as well they haven't got to that point with the technology yet but you've really got to feel for these truck manufacturers because they're having to make diesel to Euro 7, they're having to invest massive amounts in electric and they're having to go and like sort of look at hydrogen as well and then you've got Volvo, Scania and Iveco who are invested in gas yeah. as well. Yeah. The amount of investments involved with all that stuff is incredible and there's other safety things coming in. Did you know, I don't know if I mentioned it before, from next year, you know the really annoying... Um, lane departure warning yeah. system that you always switch off the first time you hit a white line. Yeah. You're not going to be able to switch that off oh, for next year. God's sake. So it means, you know, yeah, I know it's like for you <laughs> driving down the roads of, the roads of Suffolk, the roads of Norfolk, anyway, you know, the roads, the tight back roads of anywhere in the UK where you're constantly on the white line. Yeah. It's going brrr, brrr, yeah. brrr. Oh, God. Well, you're not going to be able to switch that off, you know. Oh, brilliant. And um, there's, more, there's more stuff. I think there's something coming in with all trucks. I've got to have pre-fitting for alcohol locks as well. Because Bob had one, I think Bob had a Renault, I think, and it was fitted with an alcohol lock. Right. And it would only last, like, you couldn't just blow into it in the morning either. Right. Like, if you went and stopped for half an hour and got out to load, you had to blow into this thing again <laughs> to ensure that you're sober enough to drive. <laughs> and I was like, I'm like, oh, sure, surely to goodness they're not going to bring in, like, compulsory alcohol locks on all trucks going forward. You know, talk about lack lack of trust in your in your drivers. Mm. Is it, you know, you know, you, the only time that those things should sort of be coming in is if you've previously had an issue with something like that. Yeah. And I know it's not really a it's not a problem in the UK anyway. I wouldn't have said like no, not in the way that it is. I think you know, I think some of our cousins over in the the far side of Europe like to like to have a good scoop. And I'm not. 
by any means um, painting people with uh, uh, doing that with a with a broad brush. But you know, any of the any of the times in the sort of Twitter accounts or anything where you've seen like lorries that are full of uh, you know open tins of booze, it tends to have been somebody you know from the sort of sort of more of an Eastern Europe type of thing. But then again, that kind of rolled back to the fact that these people you know were almost being used as slave labour as well. Yeah. At the sort of time, I, I don't know what the situation in Europe is now in terms of you know them still exploiting drivers as heavily as they were. I would imagine that probably still pr- goes on as well. Yeah, oh yeah. I don't know. It just it, it depends. It's, it depends what's in the news cycle and you know what's like, uh, so what's um, sort of uh, out there, you know. But yeah, that lane departure system is going to be a real pain, like I say, especially around the rural, the rural roads. That's going to be really annoying. So. Uh, I dare say some companies will come up with some, there'll be some sort of bypass that you can put in as an aftermarket thing just to get around it. I, I would guess somebody will come up with it. If they, can, if they can come up with things to get around a digital tachograph, someone will come up with a lane departure one as well, I would have thought. so. Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not, it's, um, you know, it, it's only, I mean, that should only be operating when you're like uh, sort of up to cruising speed yeah. on the motorway. Yeah. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be working. It's sort of under like, yeah. un, under like 50 mile an hour. Yeah. Because you're just constantly, and the, besides the point, it picks up, I mean, even if they do a repair in the road and they put like a seam yeah. of tar to seal the patch, it picks that up as well. Yeah. Oh, that's you know, it's it's, not something uh, to look forward to, is it? <laughs> no, but you know, I mean, there's a lot to be said for a certain amount of um, simplicity. I actually, I tell you, what, I, I, I'm in the process of doing a write-up at the moment on a um, what is now a very rare lorry in the current magazine, which is on sale now, the Volvo Special. I'd been talking about sort of as modern trucks become classics. Yeah. Um, and what you're going to find is, I mean, because guys, you can the lorries that you're probably most interested in when you grew up, grew up, or maybe ones that you were interested in when you were young, or the first trucks that you drove. So for a lot of guys, that would be like version three Volvos now, for example, yeah. or say for example, an early one hundred five XF, yeah, or something. These trucks have AdBlue systems in them. Uh, and they're early AdBlue systems, so they're not that reliable for the best of times. And we know what AdBlue is like when it's left to sit. Yeah. So what happens? You decide, I'm, I'm buying myself a V3, you know, uh, you know uh, uh, there's a 2008 DAF XF 510 manual, just like what I used to drive. I'm going to buy that truck and keep it as a modern sort of classic because there aren't, you don't see that many of them anymore. What are you going to do about the AdBlue system over the winter? Can you drain an AdBlue system down? You know, can you completely sort of like mothball it? Or do you just take the chance of the fact that it's a, a classic now and you don't have an operator's license anyway that they can take on? Well, you might if you... <laughs> well, if you've got an old license and it's one of the classic trucks that you want to keep, what's it, what is going to be the situation with keep preserving more modern trucks which have these complex emission systems on it, it may not be easily viable to do that at all. No. It occurred to, that occurred to me for the first time the other day. I, I, I presume that you must be able to drain an AdBlue system somehow because if someone was to put the yeah. wrong fuel in, you must be able to get out. And it, and it, still, yeah. it still mystifies me how people put AdBlue in a diesel tank in a truck. Um, 
I, I just aye, 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 aye. I like it. Yeah, it's been done. It's been done quite a few times as well. Oh, to quite yes. a, to, to quite a, to quite um, an extensive scale as well. We know what the we know that the size of an ad blue pump is tiny. Yeah. Um, and also, Different I mean, it, it doesn't. Yeah, but it, it, I mean, it, I mean, I. It, I mean, anything can happen to anyone at any time, mm-hmm. you know. But you would think, you would think that, you know, you would probably, I mean, you would probably at some point notice, and you know, go, oh, I've screwed up here. But I mean, AdBlue vends very slowly as well, you know, because I mean, half most of the time, yeah. you know, I mean, it's not going to come out as quick as diesel. No. So you would think, well, that's that's taken a very long time. Yeah. But. You would probably think even at that point you'd be like, "Oh no, I've not, I've screwed up." Because then it's like a, a, a it's a screw up until you start it, and then it's a disaster. Yeah, or because as soon as it, <laughs> or as a lot of people that I know of have tried, they've mm. either done it off their own back or phoned people they know who they really shouldn't have done, who suggested just put a load of diesel in on top. That will dilute it, and it will be fine. And then they start up. So not only have they put Ablu in the diesel that's currently in there, they've then filled the tank, no. filled the tank up to spend an even more money on diesel, and then start it up. No. And that's just yeah, no, yeah. no, no. See that? See, I know. See that? I know of more than one that, person that have done that now. And it, well, that uh, that that work, that works if you've got like a Mitsubishi Shogun or a Land Rover, uh, and it's petrol. Yeah. That you can you can just oh oh no I've gone and put twenty quid of petrol in my diesel land cruiser or something you know so the old thing of that yeah, yeah yeah fill it up fill it up with diesel and that then you might get away with it at your own yeah. risk yeah or it would or even better the other way around if you go and put diesel in it if you go and put diesel in a petrol car uh, and you've not topped it off or anything there's a pretty good chance you'll get away with diluting it down it'll just be a bit smoky yeah but yeah no as soon as you as soon as you start it and it sucks the ad blow into those injectors. Because those modern injectors are designed to atomize fuel to, you know, yeah. microscopic levels. So as soon as you introduce anything in there that's not meant to be, mm-hmm. it can be a new engine, pretty much. Oh yeah, I mean, I've been told it's kind of it's kind of like when you put Mentos in into Coke. It just because it just goes through the entire fuel system. Obviously, everything involved in the fueling system needs to be replaced. So mm. yeah, the the last. Bill, I know of from somebody. I think was uh, up at around twenty five grand, and it, the truck was uh, not even even a year old. Yikes! Yeah, I mean there must be a, a way to uh, completely drain an AdBlue system down, like get the inject, you know, get the AdBlue injectors, like so there's nothing sitting in them over winter or something. There must be ways and means that uh, ways and means yeah. around that. I'd love to. I'd like to know something about that. Yeah, but the truck I was doing a write up on a rare truck. Yeah, because it's one of these ones. One of these ones. Uh, I'll tell you, right, have a guess. A, a, a common big cab truck from not that lo- not that long ago, from the noughties, that has all but vanished today. What is it? Oh, Iveco. No, no, a Mercedes Megaspace. No, but that's a that's a good guess because they have vanished. They're very popular for export. Ah, uh, poor. I don't know what that leaves a big cab. A big cab from the noughties that's almost disappeared. Um, I don't know. M-E-N-T-G-A. Of course, yeah. Yeah. T-G-A, the one, the one with the rectangular headlights. Yeah, there's like, like, like a greenhouse. Yeah, shared the, shared, the, shared the cab with the ERS. That's right. Yeah. And then was replaced by the TGX, yeah. which, which, of course, came with the uh, the Euro 
five EGR engine that um, uh, caused them all sorts of bother because it was running with EGR. But what that truck, that um, yeah, I occurred to I occurred to me uh, that that truck, the TGA, uh, it's a two thousand and five four eighty sixteen speed manual comfort shift. Which is really, I mean, you really would want a manual on an MAN of that age because the AS Tronic is going to be you know, rubbish. Really, yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that tr- yeah, it's Euro 3, and I was thinking that it's, it's another one of these Euro 3 trucks that when it's on the emissions tester, it's actually what it's testing at, it can basically sort of hit Euro 5 levels. Yeah. Because a lot of the, and I was thinking Euro 3, that sort of around sort of 2005 time, that marked the, that marked the real sort of end of the mechanical engineering era being the sort of main part of the trucks. We'd got to the, they'd kind of nailed down the six-cylinder, 11 to 13 litres turbocharged engine, intercooled. We'd got all, we'd got all that. It's got most of the sort of, main technologies and that the, you know it's got the fly-by-wire throttle it's got the cruise control they're mostly going to have aircon they've got the big cabs on them but crucially that that is the last of the trucks that don't have all the complicated electrics and emissions stuff on it that is a truck that pretty much any workshop anywhere can fix it's when you get warnings coming up on the dash if it's a yellow warning if you go and replace the part, the warning will vanish. That's yeah. it. The truck will keep going. It doesn't, have a whole, it, doesn't, yeah, it doesn't have a whole lot of systems for going into limp mode. And uh, it occurred to me that that, like Euro 3, round about that point, that was a real crossroads between mechanical and then it moves to electrical. Yeah. And I mean, of course, there, are, there have still been massive, massive mechanical advantages with engines between like 2005 until now in terms of you know turbo compounding and common rail injection and tub, you know all the different updates and uh, sort of efficiency things like double overhead cam engines and stuff like that but that 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 to me was that was you know a real pivotal pivotal point of like you know that that's that's around the same point where the manual gearboxes started to get squeezed as well yeah, like in two thousand and five, most of what you would find would be manual gearboxes. The 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 last of the twin splitters at that point were not even probably five years old. Mm-hmm. You could still uh, an ERF ECX would have been avail- would have been what th- two three years old at the time with a with an Eaton uh, road or fuller road ranger in it. Yeah. So that that sort of right, that is like right at the sort of end of an era, and I was kind of like sort of waxing waxing lyrical about that. That you know that that's a truck with sort of most of your modern uh, comforts, yeah, and things like that, but without the sort of a uh, complex technology in America. They call it pre-emission. You know, yeah. there's like a lot of put, there's like, and they repower a lot of trucks in America. You know, they'll go and put a new engine and gearbox into a chassis and like keep it running. Yeah. So they've got chassis with like five million miles on them and things, and they keep re they, they repower them. And because they used to do glider kits as well up until quite recently, so you could go and order, you know, your Peterbilt or your International, and it would come as a chassis with no engine or gearbox in it. Yeah. Which meant that you were free to go and buy a brand, well, a brand new reconditioned Caterpillar thirty four oh nine or thirty four oh six year, whatever it is, uh, and a Road Ranger and drop it into your brand new truck shell. <laughs> so I mean, yeah, so I mean that, yeah, I mean that would sort of be the equivalent 
um, here, I guess, at the sort of time. I mean, you be, I've gone and getting, you know, like a, like a, you know, a new Volvo FH um, and going and like specking it and going like firing like, you know, a, a, a big Cummins and a cat in it. Yeah. Uh, but that different sort of model that, but yeah, that was it. I mean, just to, that was me just sort of waxing, um, yeah, having being a bit of thought, bit of thought when I was writing that sort of stuff mm-hmm. up, and I was thinking, what truck? What are the trucks that are, you know, the pivotal trucks that are the end of the mechanical era? Yeah, and I reckon yeah, a TGX with a sixteen-speed manual, the Ford and Alpha with the Cummins and the Cat are definitely. Uh, the end of that era because they literally sort of ended there as well. Yeah, you've got the sort of the Daft nine, the Daft ninety five XS. Yeah, you know, not the one hundred five, the yeah, ninety five with the bigger the with the bigger step in the floor. Yeah, I know a chap still running one, and I saw a second one today with a bulker, right. a, a four by two of a bulker trailer, which was that I presume if it's on sugar beet, I didn't actually see what it was loaded with. Must belong to a farmer. From Roundhill, mm. oh yeah, that was a it was on a private plate, um, but the other one I know he that's on an R ridge, oh. and all it does he does Ham's Hall uh, near, oh, that's a, near Birmingham. Oh, that's a squ- that, that's a square headlight model, yeah, is yeah. that, That's a rare one. That's yeah. a rare one. I did. They, fin- they they finished in O two. Yeah, yeah. So there's a couple of them still mm. still working away, but yeah, they they're definitely mm. getting a a rarity. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, any other business, anything to round off with? Uh, just to say, the weather was absolutely awful Friday. Oh, yeah. yeah. Got... I mean, that's, I wonder how the people up in up in Brechin got on. Did you see the floods up there? Did you get flooded down your way? So the house managed to avoid it. I It took me four hours to do March to Halston, which should have took about 90 minutes, and all of that was the A143 from Bury St Edmunds to just the other side of Dis where there's some pretty bad flooding, but nothing in comparison with Framlingham, which for people who don't know where it is, it's basically where Ed Sheeran lives and wrote the song, was it Castle on the Hill? I'm not an Ed Sheeran fan, but he he lives very near to Framlingham and that really did get hit badly. Uh, the girlfriend drives a CF on bulk at the moment and at one point the water was up to the door handles on the outside and a side locker got Whoa. flooded yeah where i used to work is a tire exhaust place uh spoke to them yesterday obviously just everything is destroyed in there all the tire machines balancers compressor 250 litre drums of oil just floating about yeah. just just absolute carnage uh i think they had eight customers cars there so they've all been written off just it, it, Framingham got hit really, really badly, as did a few of the other sort of towns very close to where I am. So it was, it, and it started mm. raining again this morning, which isn't a particularly good thing, but it did stop quite quickly, thankfully. But yeah, it's been oh, yeah. quite, mm. quite a, quite a nightmare. <laughs> did you see the video of the Travis Perkins lorry in the mini? No, don't think so. No, it was it was on Twitter, and there was people like calling for the guy to get sacked, and they were saying, "Oh, it's grossly incompetent and dangerous." And there's a Travis Perkins lorry that drives through uh, some deep water and creates a bow wave in front of it. He drives through it, yeah. in the correct ma- manner, yeah. Um, you know, it pushes through it, but there's a mini over at the side, and I don't think anybody, nobody's in the mini. Yeah. But the water basically bounces the mini up, and it's like floating and bobbing about, and it hits a wall or something. Right. And people are like, "There's somebody in that mini." 
Somebody should have stopped and everything like that. That driver's a danger to society. String him up by his <laughs> balls and all that. And I was looking at it and I watched it like time and time again and I was like, yeah, but what did he actually do wrong there? You know, the minis are lost cause. Yeah. You know, sitting floating in the water. Yeah. Now, is he just supposed to like not, I mean, he can make it through that water safely. Yeah. Assuming there's nobody else in the mini. I mean, the mini's a lost cause anyway. It's screwed. It's flooded up over its bonnet. Yeah, that's a runoff. I just, I couldn't. I'd be interested to know if anybody else is listening saw that video, or maybe it was you that was driving the lorry. (laughs) But it was a Travis Perkins Scania rigid crane truck, and I, I really did fail to see what was wrong. And, like, a lot of the driving, some of the YouTube videos over the past couple of days of people driving through very deep water and it's so often it's so often people in modern BMWs yeah I don't know yeah but 20 plate BMW coupe yes I think what I'm going to go and do is drive into this water where there's a height marker and the water's like up past my windscreen yeah as soon as that you know straight up the intake straight in hydrolocks the engine yeah your insurance shouldn't even pay out on that no. because it's that grossly incompetent yeah. and there's, there's that much of it people don't know how to drive through water or don't seem to have any respect for it and I suppose it goes back to the lack of people's competence of being able to drive in snow or any sort of adverse weather conditions really yeah I did say, you know? I did say a great one I think it's, is it Rufford Rufford Ford, I think it is in Nottinghamshire. I think it was there. Yeah, that's yeah, that's, that's a been famous clo- one, isn't it? That, yeah, that's been closed off to the public. They've put concrete barriers in there now to stop people getting through. Oh, the one that the tractor now, went over. Yeah, that, I was going to say a bit. A bit is, this a, is this a John Deere tractor? But it wasn't actually. Yeah, it wasn't actually that one. Um, that so, I mean, it might be in a different location, but there's there's this video of a DAF CF uh, suction tank, a rigid. And <laughs> clearly doesn't know what he's doing because he hits the water like fast, and you just see like the grill, like the, the lower parts all fly yeah. open, and just this big uh-huh. pile of water, and then it just comes to a grind and halt the other side because he's obviously not taking it how he should have done. But well, you know, but I tell you exactly what's happened there because if you lift if you lift up the grill on a DAF CF, all the electrics in the fuses are right there at the passenger side behind that grill, and if the water goes into that, that's it. It's it's yeah. Do not pass go. Yeah. I mean, of course, I mean, of course, there shouldn't be water getting in there. That's you know. Yeah. Yeah. People don't know how to drive through water. If you're going into water, you need to go in and sort of push gently, so you create a bow wave where the vehicle is pushing the water away in front of it as yeah. well. You know, keeping your revs high. So, keeping the revs high, and it's you've. I mean, you've just you've got to watch with cars. Well, any sort of vehicle, because if your air intake starts sucking in water, yeah, then you, you've you've sort of had it. But people just don't have any understanding in this. They either think yeah. I'll drive in very very slowly, or I'll drive in like super fast really and, quickly, and, yeah. and uh, <laughs> aggressively. Yeah, yeah. And there's a few of these Ford sites. Yeah, Rufford Ford has been shut for a while by the council. They put concrete barriers in. Yeah, and there was that video of the John Deere tractor going in yeah. hitting the concrete barrier yeah getting managing to drive over it and basically dragging it out the way yes yeah what an, what an idiot I I, I I I truly hope that it's not going to be a long winter a long wet and windy winter I would much yeah. rather just have a cold just a cold and frosty one would be better just anything anything but fucking loads of wind and rain ah, right. yeah
Absolutely. Especially for lorries, you know, I mean, it's a t- it can get very tiresome when you're on a curtain cider that doesn't have much weight in it night mm-hmm. after night, you know. Very much so. Yes, we, you know, you know, good luck, stay safe to anybody who's out on the road today or tonight, whenever you may be listening to this, you know. Yeah. Any of the, any of the subject matters that we covered or came up during this podcast, please feel free to get in touch through these channels. Mm-hmm. And I shall catch up with you again next time, Matt. Yeah. Thanks very much. Nice to chat, Dougie. Speak to you soon.